0: a look ahead to super tuesday and governor bill lee reverses course on his family leave policy welcome to grand divisions this is the week of february 24th i'm joel ebert
1: and i'm natalie allison
0: last week we saw governor bill lee change course on his family leave policy Earlier this year, the governor announced the policy change in a press conference. Natalie, remind people of those details.
1: Uh, the governor announced in January that he was going to be doing something that had not been done here before. He was going to allow all state employees to have up to 12 weeks of paid family leave. So that would include not only um, maternity and paternity leave, but leave um, if, if the employees themselves were were. Sick in a in a very serious way, um, leave for adopting a child, uh, leave in some circumstances to take care of a sick family member. Um, so, so, there had not been any paid leave um, offered for state employees up until then, and the the governor announced it as a as a pro family policy initiative. Um, And one that he was going to do by executive order, at least for the bulk of state employees, about 38,000 of them, Uh, the remaining those who aren't part of the executive branch um, would have to be covered by a separate bill that they were planning on passing, um, acted like it would be no problem. We'll get these other few thousand covered um, this spring, and then the executive order would take effect March 1st.
0: That approach by the governor changed late last week when he announced this shift to go from executive order to actual legislation. Uh, The idea behind the switch essentially may have been catapulted by concerns that were raised throughout uh, the legislature, including during a Senate committee hearing or a pair of hearings uh, in which fiscal concerns were seemingly a recurring theme. Uh, The governor downplayed the fiscal issue when he initially launched the idea, um, but that has kind of been the issue that has uh, risen to the top, uh, which is what ultimately led the governor to have a conversation with legislative Legislative leadership. Um, again, this is a significant reversal because it was the governor's signature announcement, at least in the first week of the the legislative and calendar year.
1: Yeah, and it, it was it was an announcement that was um, not met with with support from the house speakers at the time. They notably neither. Um, I'm sorry, the house and senate speakers notably. Cameron Sexton and uh, Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally were not there at that press conference that day, um, and you know they put out statements afterwards saying they were interested in um, learning more about his proposal and um, not exactly saying it wasn't going to happen, but not ex- particularly expressing much enthusiasm. And as we would learn, they um, they did have a lot of reservations and concerns about the plan.
0: So much so that the governor, when he announced it in his State of the State, didn't receive applause or. Uh, uh, standing ovation from many members in his own party, which was sort of those rare uh, times that that happens. Uh, generally, the state of the state is hailed by members of one's party.
1: Yeah. So so the proposal is in limbo. Um, unclear whether they actually will have the votes to get it through. Um, I imagine the governor's office would like to think that they do. So maybe you know all of this will be taken care of by legislation, but uh, there certainly will be a fight to get that done.
0: It won't be shocking to see if the governor's proposal on FMLA does get scaled back as it works its way through the legislative process. Of course, we will try and stay on top of all of the latest developments and keep you informed. On another front, of course, we've got to turn to Super Tuesday, which is one week away. Uh, we have a special segment later on in this episode. But first, generally speaking, what is the significance of, of Super Tuesday, uh, at least Tennessee's role in Super Tuesday, Natalie?
1: Well, Tennessee is is one of um, roughly 15 states or 14 others um, that, that are going to be holding their presidential preference primaries. Uh, this coming Tuesday, which certainly um, will send a message to uh, other states in the rest of the country about um, where Democrats are with who they want to be uh, the nominee for for 2020 for the general election this fall against Donald Trump, um, and so you know there hasn't there hasn't been. Um, a ton of uh, candidate visits to Tennessee. We we have seen some over the last year, um, but there has been a lot of on the ground grassroots organizing. That's what we've seen the bulk of. Um, so for candidates like Mike Bloomberg, they, he has employed. A number of um, full-time staffers in the state, as he has done in many other states. Um, but for for other candidates, we've we haven't seen that. So uh, with Elizabeth Warren, we have um, seen on social media constantly. I mean, every weekend she has volunteers who have been knocking on doors for months and months and months. Um, Pete Buttigieg, they, he has only until. Um, a couple weeks ago, only had grassroots supporters. They, the Judge campaign, just put two staffers in Tennessee a couple weeks ago. But um, up until then, they had just been doing meetups and things like that. Um, it, with the Sanders campaign, I mean, they they honestly haven't been very communicative with us about what they're doing. Uh, we, we don't really know the full extent to uh, what they've done in Tennessee. Um, certainly there is a grassroots movement nationwide with the Sanders campaign. Um, but as far as his staffing in Tennessee, I don't think we really even have a sense of that.
0: Tennessee will certainly be of interest for us locally to keep an eye on. Uh, national media probably not going to pay attention to it on Super Tuesday. Uh, but it's it, this race is really going to sort of dis- define what direction uh, the state's progressives are sort of headed in. Um, conventional wisdom would think that Joe Biden uh, would be a known quantity, would be supported here. Uh, but generally speaking, he hasn't been seen in this, this state. So uh, it wouldn't be shocking to see if uh, Mike Bloomberg does uh, well. When I talked to a voter who was at a Mike Bloomberg event recently, he said that he would normally be voting for Joe Biden, but he just seems like he can't win. Uh, So he's instead shifted his uh, allegiance to uh, Mike Bloomberg. Of course, Bloomberg is more kind of your, uh, I I would almost call him a a conservative Democrat in that you can see he has less uh, touting on the social issues, uh, more uh, kind of conservative approach on governing. uh, And that's highlighted by the fact that he had the stop and frisk policy. Uh, which has gained a lot of attention and scrutiny in recent weeks. Uh, Bloomberg, of course, is dominating the airwaves in Tennessee. The only other campaign we've really seen an eye on is Tom Steyer, who's been on some airwaves. But for the most part, it's largely Mike Bloomberg.
1: Yeah, and it's going to make a difference. I mean, maybe he won't come out the... the candidate with the most um, votes in Tennessee on Super Tuesday, but certainly his investment will put him up there. I mean, it seems like from from our perspective, Joe Biden has just been operating on the assumption that his name recognition and his experience and his, um, his prominence nationally is going to carry him in the state. And I think that that certainly will have a major impact. There are people who, um, you know, Tennessee Democrats who would relate to and, um, support Joe Biden. And we have seen a number of state, um, Representatives and senators here in Tennessee who have who have put their support behind him, um, but I haven't I haven't seen a single Joe Biden yard sign um, at all. There's actually
0: not been many yard signs in general. No, but
1: you know when you see them, it's like you you see Bloomberg signs, you see Steyer signs, you'll occasionally see a a Pete sign or something like that. But um, it does not seem like Biden has had at least in Tennessee uh, much of the on the ground um, support and grassroots organizing that some of the other candidates have.
0: With Super Tuesday coming up in one week, we wanted to provide an opportunity for the various candidates seeking the Democratic nomination to offer their pitch to Tennesseans listening to this podcast. We asked officials with each campaign to be able to set up an interview with either a candidate, a surrogate, or somebody else affiliated with the campaign. Two candidates spoke with us directly, former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg and businessman Tom Steyer. The rest of the candidates, we heard from surrogates affiliated with their campaign. After Bloomberg and Steyer, you will hear from those surrogates directly when they spoke at a recent event in Williamson County, as recorded by my colleague, Emily West. Here's former New York Mayor Mike Bloomberg when I asked him for his pitch as to
2: why Tennesseans should vote for him. Uh, They should vote for me because uh, I will give them the best government they've ever had. And the evidence of that is how I dealt in 12 years in New York City. Uh, when I left New York City, life expectancy was three years greater than it was when I got there. Uh, the gap in between uh, wealthy and poor kids in education was cut in half. Um, when the people that were really in need, I managed to get them earned income tax credit and higher uh, minimum wage. And we had a lot of programs to help when it came to public health, we cut the number of people who didn't have public health by 40%. Um, Crime was cut 50%. The incarceration rate was down dramatically, which uh, stopped this turnstile justice of kids going into jail and coming out and going back in worse the next time. Uh, And I can beat Donald Trump. And I think that Donald Trump is not the right person for the job. Uh, and that uh, I'm the one that can uh, change the resident of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue.
0: And here's what Bloomberg said when I asked him why Democrats should vote for him instead of his opponents.
2: Well, because I have a lot more experience. This is a management job. I've uh, run a city of uh, 8.4 million people with uh, uh, 300,000 employees. And uh, I don't think any of the other Democratic candidates Uh, Pete is a mayor but of a very small town and the others are legislators and this is not a job for a legislator this is a job for an executive
0: and here's what businessman Tom Steyer said when we recently caught up over the phone when I asked him for his pitch to Tennesseans
3: look the number one question in front of every single person who wants to get rid of Mr. Trump is how to beat Mr. Trump and there are two things that you got to know that I think are the critical points And I think both of them argue that I should be the candidate. The first one is, Mr. Trump's running on the economy. He's going to say Democrats are lousy on the economy and don't understand job creation, prosperity, or growth. I built a business over 30 years. I walked away from it and took a pledge to give my money away while I'm alive to good causes. But no one can ever call me a socialist, and nobody can ever say I don't understand job creation or growth, because my whole business was understanding job creation and growth. I can take them down on the, on the debate stage, and I actually have an economic program that includes a 10% tax cut for every American who makes less than $250,000, an economic program that will create over 4.5 million good-paying union jobs across the country, and an economic program that actually deals with economic justice and would have a much higher minimum wage, giving a raise to tens of millions of Americans. So first of all, we've got to beat them on the economy. My expertise and experience shows that I can do that. Second of all, the only way we're beating Mr. Trump is with a broad, diverse uh, turnout across the Democratic spectrum. That means we have to have a candidate who can appeal to black people, to Latinos, to Asian Americans, to Native Americans, and to white people. And so it's going to be incumbent on whoever we choose to actually be able to do that and to actually have a record turnout so that we don't just beat Mr. Trump, but we sweep away his whole game. And I believe that what you're going to see in Nevada next Saturday and in South Carolina the following Saturday is the first two diverse states. And I believe I'll be able to show with with how I perform there that I am the candidate who can pull together that diverse coalition I have a long history of grassroots organizing. I built one of the biggest grassroots organizations in the United States, next-gen America. I believe I can show that I can pull together that coalition, that I can get grassroots turnout, and that I can be with Mr. Trump on the economy.
0: And we also caught up with actress Ashley Judd, who is stumping for Massachusetts U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren's campaign.
4: I'm so excited about voting for Elizabeth Warren. And, you know, her story is one that Tennesseans identify with and that we share. You know, she was still so affected by her family's story of nearly going bankrupt that she became a bankruptcy scholar. And it wasn't enough for her to just sit around and think about or study or teach others why American families go through these financial crises or live so close on the razor's edge of not being able to make ends meet, she did something about it when she was still a private citizen, and she founded something called the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and this went up against the corrupt banks, the big financial institutions, and when she, before she ever ran for public office, returned $12 billion of money to American families who had been defrauded by financial institutions. And that, to me, just speaks volumes of her. And I think that tells so much of her story, you know, where she took her lived experience as a regular American and melded it with her brilliance and her towering intellect, that she manifested it with something that was practical and actionable. And we hear Elizabeth Warren say, I've got a plan for that. And she talks about big structural change. And it's not just pie-in-the-sky ideas that can't be realized. She's got a proven track record, and the people of Massachusetts saw what she did, and they elected her to the Senate, where you can see her track record of standing up to the bullies, standing up to the elite, standing up to folks who are corrupt. And I think that Tennesseans, you know, 380,000 of whom are uninsured. We've got rural hospitals that are closing at the second-highest rate in the country we've got an opioid crisis and she has a plan for that i mean that's affected my own family our candidate that has the smartest plan the biggest heart and to unite our country and put us put the power back in the hands of the working people for me elizabeth warren has the backbone and the moxie and the character and the discipline and she also has the grassroots campaign here in Tennessee. She was the first candidate to come to Tennessee in this cycle. She had the first staff on the ground in Tennessee. She opened the first office in Tennessee, and she has the largest volunteer-led grassroots program here in Tennessee. She cares about us. She knows what affects us. She knows what impacts our daily lives, and she knows how we live, and that's why
5: Tennesseans need to vote for Elizabeth Warren.
0: Here's Cassie Jackson, a volunteer supporting Vermont U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders' campaign.
5: I've been a supporter of Bernie's since 2015. I voted for him in the primary uh, way back then, um, and I've been a huge fan ever since. The reason that I support Bernie is because he showed me that a different type of politics is possible, a type of politics that moves beyond the realignment that happened in the 80s where policy-centered um, profit over people, and we've been doing that ever since. It's possible to have a different type of politics that puts people at the center of our systems, and that's what every single one of his policies does. It puts people at the center over profit and not the opposite. There are so many problems that are ailing us, and at the root of the core of our problems is a classist, racist structure that maintains it. And putting people, a multiracial, multigenerational coalition behind a movement to change those systems, is what will get to the root of our problems. We are suffering from a insane medical <laughs> catastrophe in this country. Um, we see it firsthand here in Tennessee with almost 700,000 people um, with either poor or no insurance, rural hospital closures, and our we know that our state legislature is not doing anything about it. We need a system to push far for a system like Medicare for All um, in order to get these people insured and to get to make sure that people like myself, <laughs> I've gone without health insurance. It is terrifying, and I know. And one of the main reasons for people to go bankrupt in this country is um, medical bankruptcy. Bernie's plan would solve all of that. It would take off of all of the administrative um, back end. I'm going too deep in on this issue, <laughs> but. Um, Bottom line is that we need to push far with all of these policies because if we push far, we'll always have to compromise. If you push farther, you'll have to compromise less. If we nibble around the edges, if we put forward plans that um, don't center people at the core of them, um, then we will not. We'll just we'll just keep beating this horse <laughs> um, until the cows come home.
0: Here's Kendra Simonton, who is touting former Vice President Joe Biden's campaign.
6: Last night we saw that he's never been a Republican. He's been a Democrat. He's been in the Senate uh, from 73 to 2009. He's been uh, Obama's Vice President from 2009 to 17. Um, He's the longest serving Vice President. 14 Vice Presidents have become Presidents over the course of history. Nine of those have been elected or appointed through either illness or assassination. Five of those were elected. So Joe Biden deserves this position. He has the African-American support. He's headed in the polls in South South Carolina. In Nevada, Michael Bloomberg uh, isn't even on the ballot. So Joe Biden is not a sometimes Democrat. He has supported this party for decades and really needs the support on the local level in Williamson County. Now, how, how many of you have already voted? Okay, great, so maybe we can sway you to vote, vote for Biden uh, You know, through, through the early election. How many are you, of you are interested in getting involved with the campaign? Anybody? Yes, well, one person. Does anybody have any questions about last night's debate? Anybody? Am I okay? No, I'm you're fine. fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. He is. He has a plan for the deficit. He also has a plan to help with fire recovery. He has a plan to help the downtrodden, the poor, the weak, the sick. He is an extension of Obamacare. So, how many of you are still in favor of that medical support of Obamacare? Great.
0: Please vote for Joe Biden. Here's Ashley Schultz, a supporter of Massachusetts U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren's campaign.
7: Uh, Why, Warren? Um, For me, if we are going to beat the most corrupt president that this country has ever seen, we need to run on the largest anti-corruption platform since (laughs) Watergate. Um, And that is Senator Warren's plans. Um, And to me, I talk a lot about how she's the head and the heart. Um, We joke a lot about how she has a plan for that, and she does. I would highly encourage you to go to ElizabethWarren.com slash plans um, and check them out. Um, But she also is uniquely prepared for this moment because of her heart and her empathy. Um she is a fighter, but she is also someone who I think it's not enough to um we've got a lot to undo, a lot of balm to put on this country after four years of this president, um, and I think she is uniquely qualified to do it. Um as a former K twelve public educator, her plan for public education um is just a ray of sunshine. (laughs) It would pay our teachers more, it would invest in community schools, it would fully fund IDEA. Um our I used to work for an anti-hunger nonprofit, um, and you wouldn't believe. Um the school lunch debt and the ways we're not supporting our teachers in our schools, she would invest in community schools. Um, And her universal childcare plan, I think, Um, is, while not a super sexy plan for most people, would fundamentally change this country. It would value the work of our early childhood educators. It would make sure people stayed in the workforce because they had safe and affordable um, and caring places to send their kids. Um, And the vast, vast, vast majority of people who do that work are women. Um, And so investing in that particular sector um, is something that if you look at all of her plans, the line that streams through all of it is noticing working families and how to fix crop
0: system. Here's Elizabeth Madeira, a Franklin mom who started Tennesseans for Pete, on why she's supporting former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg.
8: I originally joined Team Pete because of his focus on democratic form with a small d, democratic reform, on um, giving the voice to the people. And then I also really appreciated and resonated with his call for unity and for belonging Um I know a lot of people feel like in this divisive political climate, there's a lot of fighting happening, and um, I really appreciate his message of unity and bringing people together. Um, I know policy is really important in politics, and he has very robust policy that I support and agree with, but I also know that a big part of politics is inspiration, and he brings the right balance of good policy and inspiration to have me totally on board. She added, Our grassroots organizers have started, we started organizing last spring. Almost no one has ever been involved in politics before, but we all really believed in Pete, believed he was the best person that could beat Trump. And, we have been drawing lots of people who have never been involved in the political process before to the team who are excited about Pete. Lots of people who are former Republicans, a lot of people who are independents, and some people that have been Democrats their whole life. But uh, a very people all across the spectrum have joined together, so we are um, certainly very enthusiastic about him as a person, his policies, and his ability to win and bring people across from
0: both sides of the aisle. Here's Max Kaplan, a field organizer, with Minnesota U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar's campaign.
9: Amy Klobuchar is the candidate to beat Donald Trump in 2020, and here's why. Her winning record, both electorally in Minnesota, repeatedly winning heavily Republican districts, and her winning record in the Senate. She She's consistently ranked one of the most effective senators, her name being attached to a bill, whether as a co-sponsor or as the author, to hundreds of bills has made them far more likely to pass. Her uh, vision includes uh, popular uh, solutions to the problems that all of our campaigns are trying to address. I think everybody here uh, wants everyone in America to have health insurance. That's not up for debate. The question is how do we get there? Do we get there by getting rid of all of the progress that we've made thus far or do we get there by building on what we've the good work that we've done the good work that not just has been done by our politicians but also done by unions negotiating for better health care for their workers that we can see how uh this is uh ta- just taking all that away eliminates so much work and uh eliminates it for something that, frankly, isn't even that popular. Medicare for All doesn't have majority support among the American people. That's just a fact. Uh, We can sit and argue specifics on that all day, but my point is Amy Klobuchar combines appeal to moderate voters, voters in the Midwest, who we need, who uh, in 2016 were ignored, and she knows how to get things done. She has consistently gotten things done in the Senate and she will in the White House.
0: Joining me today on the podcast is our old friend and co-worker, Joey Garrison, who spent a long time doing this podcast and reporting on the city of Nashville, but now in um, Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for coming, Joey.
10: Yeah. Thanks for having me on,
0: Joel. So uh, you obviously know Tennessee well, um, and uh, you just covered the New Hampshire primary, of which there were a couple of surprises. Um, but Joey, I just wanted to to see: is there anything that Tennesseans might be able to kind of glean off of what happened in New Hampshire uh, when our primary here happens in Super
10: Tuesday? Yeah, I mean, th- I think several things. I mean, number one, uh, you had Amy Klobuchar, the U.S. senator from Minnesota really climb here uh, in the last uh, couple of days. Is, uh, and you can really feel that uh, in the final week between Iowa uh, and New Hampshire. And, of course, we'll have, uh, you know, by, by the time Super Tuesday gets here, you have Nevada and South Carolina. Uh, and Clemature might have challenges uh, uh, in terms of competing in those two states. But I'm curious whether she can continue that sort of momentum as uh, one of the leading candidates who's not uh, Bernie Sanders' as many in the middle lane are fighting over votes. Of course, what what Tennessee and the other Super Tuesday states have uh, that New Hampshire didn't have is Michael Bloomberg mm-hmm. on the ticket. so you know that adds uh, an entire uh, there's an entire wrench into things, of course, and you know that's it's it's such a wide open uh, you know race right now uh, heading into Nevada and then South Carolina. and then uh, uh, the, the 14 Super Tuesday states, which also includes up here. Uh, Massachusetts.
0: And I think, you know, one of those remarkable uh, elements is the fact that Bloomberg is now running, just a he's blanketing the airwaves, uh, and he has been for a while. Um, I'm sure you're seeing the same thing in in Massachusetts there, aren't you?
10: Yeah, no doubt. And he's, you know, just a massive presence on TV from Bloomberg uh, for weeks now, and I know down in Tennessee as well, um and that's even you know, despite of course Massachusetts being Elizabeth Warren's state, I don't I think a lot of people uh generically might just assume that oh that must you know, that must be a uh she must have a be a big favorite there. And maybe she still is slightly, but I think, you know, other candidates are competing in Massachusetts on um, Super Tuesday like it's you know, not hers and I wouldn't uh you know, she obviously struggled in, in New Hampshire finishing it with nine percent of a distant fourth place. She really has sort of some a uh, make it make-or-break moments coming up and really needs some momentum heading up uh, in, in the Super Tuesday. And so, um, you know, but Bloomberg, um, uh, you know, as so many of the center-left candidates are fighting for, for position, I mean, I think he's, you know, he's going to be right there, um, you know, competing, uh, against Bernie Sanders, it looks like as we head uh, to, to these Super Tuesday states.
0: And and you certainly know Tennesseans and and know Nashvilleians um, based on your previous coverage. And granted, you're not talking to them every day anymore. Um, but y- you know, I mean, you look at a candidacy like Bloomberg's, and you really come to think this is probably somebody who uh, the average Tennessean that may not be you know somebody who lives in Nashville, but you could certainly see some some Democrat voters in in more rural areas or. Or, or Democrat leaning areas um, that aren't full-fledged Nashville or Memphis going for uh, a, a candidate like Bloomberg couldn't you
10: yeah potentially I mean in a primary of course some of those some of those voters might want to vote for Trump even though it's uh, even though he just has token opposition in the, the prime in the Republican primary that'll be taking place as well you know I mean I Bloomberg is really uh, taking advantage of, of the the way this all stacks up, where you have these two these four uh, you know smaller sized uh, states starting things off, and then a what's essentially a national primary once you have 30 percent of the Democratic delegates going on, on Super Tuesday. And so, yeah, he, he's made the bet. I'm just going to pump uh, enormous resources into all these states. He made the bet that it seems to be working that the Democratic uh, 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 crop of contenders would be so much in flux right now and so jumbled, you know, that he can just, you know, put down his ace card there, uh, and, and compete on, in Super Tuesday. Now, of course, the thing, you, you know, the other benefactor of all this is, is Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. By the fact that you have a rising, you know, Pete Buttigieg, uh, you know, wins Iowa, uh, I think Klobuchar searches, uh, he gets closely behind him in New Hampshire, and you still have Biden up there. You might be able to compete with African uh, American voters in South Carolina. Of course, I don't. I think I don't think that's necessarily uh, as much of a case as it was uh, a month ago. But he's still a player there, mm-hmm. and, uh, who who will seemingly uh, be here in the Super Tuesday. If you have all these candidates here, I'm just really fascinated looking at Tennessee. You know, uh, could you know Sanders probably wouldn't have been the favorite there a couple of weeks ago or months ago. I'm guessing it would, would have been Joe Biden. you know. But could Sanders compete there if he just gets his like 20 or 25 percent uh, in Tennessee? I, you know, The way things are shaping up right now, I mean, uh, Sanders is definitely the favorite frontrunner right now, and I think you could see him winning a lot of states uh, that, that maybe he wouldn't have been predicted to win because you're having such a muddled uh, uh, field. With also with the emergence of, uh, of Bloomberg on the ticket soon, or on the ballot soon, I should say.
0: Um, the only other person we didn't really talk about so far that's kind of on the top of the ticket is um, Pete Buttigieg, the uh, former mayor of, of South Bend, Indiana. He uh, really surged in the last, what was it, week, two weeks, of the New Hampshire primary in a way that, y- y- you know, um, I-, I guess Iowa kind of put him through that, that surge.
10: Yeah, so he had that big surge. And then on the ground in New Hampshire really felt, uh, you know, like I was thinking that that Pete might be able to to beat Sanders. He, of course, only became about one and a half percent short. But then what happened is on the Friday before the voting, Klobuchar had a very good debate. Mm -hmm. What I think he ultimately saw was uh, uh, Klobuchar perhaps take votes away from Pete Buttigieg. Mm -hmm. And then that ultimately helped Sanders, if that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Buttigieg obviously has been, you know, I know he was in a fu- at a fundraiser uh, down in uh, Tennessee, down in Nashville several months ago, and he's gotten help uh, from State Senator Jeff Yarbrough. and, and uh, Yarbro was actually up in New Hampshire uh, volunteering for Buttigieg on the final days uh, of the campaign, and I know uh, Buttigieg has some some inroads uh, in Tennessee. Of course, his biggest Achilles heel is that he's not done well. With minority voters, and he's going, that's going to be put to test first among Latino and African American voters in Nevada, and then in South Carolina. And so, I do think there's still some questions on whether he can compete more on the national field once it opens up to Super Tuesday, uh, until he proves, um, you know, that that question and so or answers that question. And so, you know, he's certainly in the mix, um, and he's certainly you know, he's got the delegate count uh, right now, I believe. Correct? And yeah. He's, yeah. Uh, what one above Sanders, but I think. You know, the, given what, that that Sanders is by far uh, the clear favorite in Nevada, and then based on some other things that he has shown, I mean, I think he's kind of being looked at as the the front runner.
0: Anything else you want to add, Joey?
10: Yeah, yeah. One thing I'll add, real quick, for sure. anyone who's a big political lover out there, and I know you got those listen in your audience. If you ever want to make a good trip, uh, the the New Hampshire primary, uh, you know, every four years, is a lot of fun because. Uh you get a real unique uh you know obviously uh kind of first hand you know, look at these candidates, and then you're just only within like a thirty minute drive of of one town to the other'cause you're so small up there, most huh. of the candidates only go to the lower half of the uh lower half of the state, and so it was really cool to be all of a sudden. Uh, you know, at a Biden event, checking out him, and then, you know, rush over an hour later, and you're watching Bernie Sanders. So I do think, you know, Iowa obviously is a little more spread out, and and that New Hampshire, really, uh, you know, you're able to see three or four uh, candidates in one day. For somebody who loves covering politics, it's a lot of fun.
0: Very different than uh, covering politics in in Tennessee, where you could drive hours and not be...
10: Yeah, really, you're talking about, there's probably only a couple states like it. Yeah. Yeah, but... You know, the longest drive I would have to do was probably an hour plus. Wow. You know, that was, to, you know, the coast to, to Manchester. Interesting. So, so yeah. well, it, it, was, it was a lot different than, uh, than uh, you know, other states I've been. So.
0: Yeah. Huh. Well, thanks again, Joey. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Joel. And now for this week's notebook dump, the state of Tennessee executed Nicholas Sutton this past Thursday at 7.26 p.m. by electric chair. Sutton was the seventh death row inmate to be put to death in Tennessee since the state resumed executions in August 2018.
0: Former House Speaker Glenn Cassid has received more than $5,500 in taxpayer funds after having his consulting firm hired by three Republican lawmakers to send out constituent mail.
1: The State Capitol Commission met last Thursday to hear feedback from uh, speakers on both sides of the issue of whether to remove the bust of Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest. The Capitol Commission did not take any action uh, on the matter. Stuart McWhorter, the Finance and Administration Commissioner and Chairman of the Capitol Commission, announced that um, the commission would not be taking any kind of voter action on it until they can replace um, a vacancy on the commission.
0: Last week, the FBI issued search warrants at the business and home of State Senator Katrina Robinson. The search warrants were for Healthcare Institute, a for-profit college that provides nursing training, which Robinson founded. That's it for Grand Divisions this week. As always, you can find us on Tuesdays, wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Spreaker, Spotify, etc., This podcast is produced by John Garcia and Erica Whitney. You can find us on Twitter at Grand Divisions 3. We'll be back next week with a new episode. I'm Joel Ebert.
1: And I'm Natalie Allison.
0: We'll see you next week.